Welcome to CCC Talks, empowering IT and business professionals in their digital transformation journey. Find all the latest tips, tricks, and strategies at our blog and resource center at cloudcredential.org. And now our host, CCC Managing Director, Mark O'Loughlin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of CCC Talks with Mark O'Loughlin and the Cloud Credential Council. Now, today we're joined by Dr. Anna Tavis, who is Department Chair uh, for Human Capital Management Programs at New York University. Now, Anna, you're a researcher, a writer, a speaker, global educator, and a coach focusing on what we love, the future of, of work. So, Anna, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Great. Now, Anna, you describe yourself as being passionate about developing innovative approaches to talent um, within organizations and to help discover a higher purpose for the next economy. So listen, tell us a little bit about yourself and your passion for this field. Um, I just a couple of uh, background uh, points, I think that will be helpful. Um, I started out as an academic, but then I left academia to really uh, go deep into the business. And I ended up in Europe, worked in, in London and then um, in Helsinki for telecom companies uh, before returning to um, before returning back to um, Wall Street, New York City, where I am now. And I kind of saw it all. I saw the ups and downs in the company and, and companies um, that were too big to fail and then experienced a significant downturn. So I didn't just theoretically look from the outside in on what was going on inside the organization. I was actually on the management teams and I had to deal with you know, all, a whole range of issues um, associated with talent and strategic talent management, both yes. again on the upside where people were promoted and uh, rewarded and all the good things associated with that. And on the downside with the business was contracting uh, when people needed to be laid off, when their organizations yep. were in significant distress. And what became very clear to me from obviously from the very beginning, because I was in strategic human resource management, uh, was that there's a lot of room for improvement in managing people in organizations. And I think we're experiencing right now a, a, a huge um, disruption to the traditional business um, models and a turn to a much more humane um, a possibly much more humane uh, way of managing people. And that might sound ironic to you because you would say, what about automation? What about other robots coming in, yes. et cetera? And I think that that's a very, very interesting tension. As we're getting more machines in, there's a huge opportunity to, um, you know, to become more humane in how we manage people and what we do with uh, people who come and join companies and the broader ecosystem of contractors, uh, communities, and um, and partners that companies work with. Yeah, as you said, very interesting for us when we think about with all the new technologies coming in, a lot of it is looking at replacing some of the, let's say, activities that people do. Use a fantastic phrase there, attention. And I think that's becoming apparent in organizations today. What is that? We'll drill in a little bit, maybe a bit more later on as to what that tension might be and where it's coming from. But certainly, as you said, um, you know, we talk about this 
fourth industrial revolution with the change of technologies and all these things what does it mean for us so that's that's that's, that's something that i think we'll come back to in a moment now i also see that you're currently working on a book uh, which has a working title i love this the end of talent management as we know it now can you tell yeah. us a little bit more about what that means what the end of talent management as we know it what's changing and, and what is this um i think it's really fundamental and again has to do with the not only the tactical changes that are occurring on the ground which is the automation that we see but also a huge philosophical shift um you know i mentioned that i was the head of global talent for big companies etc and the whole premise of talent management economy as we called it or the kind of the the predominant the dominant management um uh, architecture that existed in companies and still is it's a legacy yeah. one was focused on what what was called high potential culture it was all about the theory goes um that it, it, 20 percent of your at most 10 20 percent of your employees are talent uh they deliver 80 percent of value you need to uh disproportionately invest in 10 20 percent and that's what constituted this whole talent management architecture, starting from yeah. identifying that that high potentials, uh, developing high potentials, rewarding high potentials, retaining high potentials. And so, so when we started measuring, and I'm a very big um, analytics uh, and technology person when it comes to HR, we can describe uh, discuss that later. But when we started really measuring things like engagement you know and the data uh, were showing us that the engagement is very low you get mm -hmm. you know 70 70 67 and whatever the numbers are but close to the 70 percent of the population is disengaged yeah. then the question started coming up why is that the case and obviously and that all had to do with this kind of um asymmetrical management of people in organizations with prioritization of the 20%. And I, I'm not even going to start talking about the bias associated with those systems that were set up to select that 20%, that were 20% is a big number, usually the 10, yes, um, yes. you know, and, uh, and you are familiar with that. And that's what, you know, became known as the talent management uh, organization, that organization focused on talent. My premise is that in the economy we are in right now, it's about personalization and it's about employee experience. Uh, everyone is a talent. Everyone yes. deserves to be invested in and uh, paid attention to. And yes. so we are moving from 10% to 100%. And that shift is not possible without the technology that's becoming available to us to scale uh, the services that were only available to the select few. Yeah. Um, and yeah. obviously companies are now revisiting the whole scaffolding that was put around this philosophy of 10% to, um, to break it all down and to see how can we build the systems? How can we build the processes? How can we build the architecture that will support 100% of people working for companies? That's an amazing shift from 10% to 100%. And now I think if that's reality, which is, as you said, that that's what you're seeing. Uh, part of the challenge, though, is in the mindset that you almost said we have legacy thinking now. 
A lot of organizations, when you mention legacy, will think about legacy IT systems and replacing all of those with digital systems. I wonder how many organizations are thinking like this, saying our talent management, that 10% mindset is now a legacy mindset for the situation we're in today and the label we call that fourth industrial revolution or all things digital, whatever labels we want to put on. And I think, or do you think, is that a big challenge with organizations now to recognize that they're moving from this 10% to you know, the employee experience 100% that we should invest in everybody as opposed to these, this mythical top 10 uh, best people in the organization? Yeah, no, of course, because people, the hardest thing to change is people's behavior, as we know. Yes. Even though with um, the neuroscience now helping us a bit to um, look under the hood and see what actually happens at the brain level and why is it so hard for us to to change, to innovate. Yes. Um, and, and, and it's uh, so I would say, of course, it, it is an, not an easy change. And it's not necessarily happening top down. With some companies, it does. With others, it's um, it's a slower process. So you you kind of have a spectrum right now. I would say that the majority of senior managers um, or CEOs, even level the C-suite level, in mm. companies will tell you that it, you know it's in the Deloitte measuring it. It's around 70 plus percent of companies are saying employee experience is the most important kind of talent orientation that we have. But in terms of actual implementation of employee experience, it, it's in um, maybe you know 15, 20 percent only of companies that actually are doing something about it. No one has arrived, but yes. companies that are actually moving in that direction. So. In terms of the actually making the shift, we are at this point of strategy execution gap. There is yes, an yeah. understanding of where we need to be, but there's a lot of gravity that pulls us back into you know where we 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 are coming from. And clearly, hundreds and thousands of people have been socialized in a very different system, and yes. uh, it's very difficult to give up um that that power that certain people gathered being in 10 percent because they're the ones who are making decisions now um so there's a really interesting dynamic that's um, developing now in companies and i think what why i feel that i am sort of a person with a mission is because i see it so clearly that i can explain articulate and really create a pathway uh, yeah. and help companies to get there. Yeah, I think that's very important that, again, they're, they they're help to get there. As you said, uh, nobody has yet arrived, but we certainly need to have some on, on, on the journey there. Um, so, Anna, you're teaching at New York University. You're lecturing around the world. Um, and, you know, one of the areas of the expertise you're lecturing on is this thing called um, human capital management. I think you've covered a little bit of it, but can you explain to us a little bit more about what human capital management is, is about? Yeah, I mean, human capital management is just one of the terms that apply to the people function in the companies. Um, and it's also, in, in, in some ways, a legacy name. We, we developed from uh, personnel, which was a purely transactional administrative 
function and companies um, in full support of management, you know, really just the paperwork and administration to uh, HR, human resource management, where people were resources. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then we kind of moved into the financial in the 80s and 90s into the financial models around companies and we put, you know, some, um, uh, you know, value into the human assets that were considered to be, yeah. you know, so that's where the capital comes in because we started measuring the human assets in financial terms. Uh, but now we are in experience, as I said, now we're talking about people experience. We're talking about a function that is much more distributed and diffused and obviously is looking at more holistically at the mm. um the kind of the uh, the subject of our uh attention in companies which yeah. is people so so it, it, unfortunately if you are at the university you kind of have to deal with um the titles that are standard for these types of functions and they're understandable human capital but it, uh, you know, if it were me, I would be, you know, more in the people function. But to a lot of people, it doesn't signal, you know, what it used to be. So um, yeah. it's just a question of terminology uh, in the time. It's interesting. You said we've gone from being recognized as human resources to then human assets to now that user experience or human experience uh, seems to be going up the value chain there, which is interesting. Yeah. I've seen so many organizations try and address the, the human experience or employee experience solely with technology. If we bring in these technologies, we'll increase the experience around here. And I'm amazed because generally they will decrease the experience if it's only a technologically driven approach to doing something, you know, to getting up the value chain with people because people don't get the experience out of it or you take away the interactions, the human element of people with the technology is the way they're trying to do it. Um, so I think they have to be careful with that, that they don't over-engineer or think to engineer the experience side with technology alone. Uh, would you agree that you can't make this move without bringing the people with you? Would that be clear? Uh, would that be a, a clear statement? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's why, you know, I at NYU, I, I created a, a, a master's in science degree um, in human capital analytics and technology, which is both the behavioral sciences and the analytics and technology, because yes. I, I don't think you can pre, pre, bring uh, data scientists or technologists into HR and think that you're going to solve people's issues. That's not so. all. In fact, to your point about um, overwhelming people with technology, on the one hand, yes, I mean, we just, our brains again can't cope with so much change and transition. That's one thing. On the other, there's something psychologically new that's beginning to be recognized as an issue. It's called the experience deficit. Um, I mean, it's a term that's behaviorally recognized as, as a, again, as a, as a downside of bringing in so much technology. As it turns out, as humans, for us to process something, we, we do need time, we do need reflection, we do need um, a social uh, interaction. 
yeah. if certain changes need to occur. And by sh creating these shortcuts through, you know, immediate delivery through technology, which seems to be more efficient on the sides of speed and acceleration, we're actually creating deficits on the behavioral side and psychologically, which of the, the um, downsides of which we, we, we do not yet exactly know, but we're already seeing yeah. it in education significantly when we're bringing students in who are in this digital natives, uh, people coming in who've been educated in already digital age, and yes. there are some certain significant, again, deficits in what we would consider the full human experience. So I think we are learning to be living with technology because it's not an option anymore. And, yes. but we're learning also the downsides and we need to be more proactively addressing these types of deficits and understanding the impact that technology will have longer term, not just the short term uh, efficiencies that the business might be looking at. Yeah, I think that that's very important for our listeners to have a think about that human deficit. Um, and, and it grows, the more you throw technology to try and solve this, that deficit probably grows because you've uh, an unequal balance now, too much technology and not enough of the human, the human element. And a common theme that relates to this that we've had on a lot of these um, these sessions, these talks is, you know, the recognition that we've gone from highly manufacturing industries into service industries, which are now being or moving into the knowledge industry. Um, and that seems to be where we are. And it's a completely different thing. The same way moving from manufacturing to services required people to do differently, act differently, be differently and be educated differently and have different technologies. I think that's now happening from the services industry into this knowledge industry. And it's not a direct shift that you immediately stop one and start the other. Um, and one of those questions I have for you, while businesses might be recognizing this with the work, say, that you do and, and, and what you're teaching is, do you think the individuals, the humans themselves, the individuals in jobs, do you think they recognize any of this, how significant this might be on them, or are they unaware of it? Yeah, I mean, it depends. You know, all humans are different, right? Um, so it really depends. Um, most most of us are reactive to these types of changes, and that's what creates it's creating a lot of stress because people are unprepared. It happens to them, and then only then, to your point, they become aware. Um, I think what we need to be doing, and this is where I think there's a lot of um, focus in my field right now is trying to be predictive um, that the area that's growing really fast and and we also teach it um, in our program um, is workforce planning understanding of the rate of obsolescence of skills and yes. not even at the jobs level we're not talking about jobs we're talking we're breaking down jobs into skills because every job can there's no i mean the category of jobs is going away Mm -hmm. um we, we need to understand what's involved people are much bigger than jobs right what's involved what kinds of skills both soft and hard skills are needed 
And, uh, and, we, and what's interesting about what's happening now, it's not all skills at once go away. We only notice, I mean, and how we talk about it, it's kind of mechanically, there were jobs and now there are no jobs, but it's much more subtle. And these, and these changes are occurring not only at the job level, again, that's too, that's too big and, and it happens you know, overnight and that's, that's reactive but it's a gradual transition parts yeah. of jobs are being automated and so the environment we're going to be living in is going to be augmented you know every job is going to be augmented with technology so pretty much no one is going to be immune to these types of transitions and so where we're at now because again i like to i like my role of being on the solution side of mm. these types of issues that are so central to the future of you know, of our society is to figure out how we can be more, more, more predictive about these types of changes happening um, and how we, we could be more proactive in uh, creating educational pathways um, and learning pathways. And they don't have to be necessarily education with a capital um, E. Yes. Uh, we know that they're uh, learning in the flow of work, uh, reskilling, all of these types of things that uh, technology again is helping us to be more efficient in acquiring the new uh, skills and transitioning. But the trick here to what you just asked is to go from reactive to proactive, mm. um, and that's where, and that's where you know um, again, uh, smart technologies, AI, analytics are helping us. To, to make that shift. If we, are if we are predictive about it and prescriptive around educational pathways and put resources behind it and knowledge, I think we're gonna eliminate a lot of pain and a lot of disruption that we're experiencing now. Uh, because yes. now, and now it's happening because again, we are kind of waiting until it happens and then it's too late. It's always too late, it's always too late. Um, you mentioned something there, I think. Um, you said, uh, I thought about it, um, we're bigger than the jobs we do. Yeah. But I think one of the challenges that has been found is that a lot of people self-identify with the jobs that they do. And they attach a lot of, I think, self-worth to that job and the job that they do. And now that we're in this world of absolute change, it is happening quicker, faster than change has ever happened before. I think that's impacting, at least in, in the conversations I've been having with organizations as well. I can see that having an impact on everybody in the organization from the decision makers right down to the, the, the lower levels in an organization that even the people, let's say, in power are actually struggling to get to grips with what's changing, how's it going to affect me, never mind the rest of the staff here. So there's a bit of self-survival, I think, uh, for people because of the way they attach, not everybody, but some people will attach self-worth to the job that they do based on the role and the position that they have. And I think all oh, that's being challenged as well at the moment. Um, I think that, that's, that's, that's what we see. My, my response to this will be people are attached to work you know people are work is you know oxygen for for humans uh, <laughs> yeah you know so and that's different from jobs um and for as long as we understand that 
and yeah. value and create opportunities for people to be engaged socially and work. Yeah. Um, that is going to be, you know, that's how we need to be reframing the whole conversation about jobs because it's not about jobs. Jobs are going to come and go. Uh, and um, we've seen that in the past. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we are hardwired to work. Yes. And to be productive, to be socially connected with people and achieve outcomes. We we are, you know, somewhat, you know, maybe competitive at at some level, different degrees of competitive, but there are yeah. a lot of the ho whole range of human emotion is associated with work. And we talk about the dignity of work. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I think what's happening is if people have been trained in such a linear way and and if they're associated with a job, that's where they that's where the fragility of this type of concept comes. Yes. That's where it breaks down. You know, if I'm only thinking of myself as a coal miner, you know, I see the I see the uh, shelf life of that profession as very narrow, as very short. Yes. And so and 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 that's what, you know, the politicians obviously take advantage of it. They're going to say, you know, if I want to win this population, I, I, I'm going to put the coal miners back into the coal mine. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's not how these types of issues need to be resolved. Yes, what yeah. you need is to give people opportunity to work. You have to uh, find what they would be good at, how they the skills. This is where, again, the unit of measure is a skill. Mm -hmm. You know, and what are the um, equivalent skills that we could be, uh, you know, uh, training them in uh, that will be relevant to the next economy? Yeah. And yeah. it turns out that there are quite a few a few skills out there. And again, if you develop the ability with the help of technology, et cetera, to identify, you know, the kind of the strengths of people, et cetera. And, and develop those skills and then create work environments for them where they can be deployed. And this is why when, as you know, when people lose jobs, mm -hmm. we always tell them volunteer, don't, don't just isolate yourself and, and, and just yes. be looking for that job. When you volunteer, you actually are continuing to develop yourself and, 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 and you're participating in the flow of work and you're participating in society. So that's the way we need to be thinking about it. That's fantastic. That's really good. One of the things we did a um, recent uh, survey report from the CCC, uh, the Global Digital Skills Survey, one of the critical findings that we got from that survey was that organizations today are requiring are acquiring sorry requiring people are looking for people that have the ability to acquire skills and acquire them quickly and use those skills as opposed to looking for people that have you know degrees and other types of uh, you know career spanning knowledge or experience it seems to be moving along this trajectory in the fourth industrial revolution that one of the key things they're looking for is an ability for people to learn and relearn quickly and reapply regardless of you know what they've had in the past it always reminds me of this phrase um what got us here will not keep us here and i think that is so relevant today that you're not going to get a 40-year career 
from the degree you had 20 years ago in today's, you just won't exist because the jobs are changing, the skill requirement, everything's changing so fast. And as you said, we see a lot of these uh, talks, a lot of um, automation coming through technology, automating half of somebody's job. So you've got to be able to acquire new skills and transition and change throughout your career, which I think is the skill in itself that people need to have. Some people say it's more difficult for the older cohorts than the younger. I'm not convinced of that. I think it's probably um, uh, a human trait. Are you able to learn and relearn as opposed to how old are you and should younger people learn better than older people? I, I don't think that that's how it works. But um, I think that's that's part of uh, what's happening on that phrase, what got us here will not keep us here, I think is ever, is ever so relevant. Um, as part of that, Anna, you talk about this uh, new world of work, which is what we're in today. Um, you've spoken about, I'll just quote here, uh, what we need most is a practical guide to the brave new world of work where talent connects uh, to employment wherever and whenever it finds the best fit. Can you elaborate? I, I think that that's a fantastic phrase. We're going to write about that in the blog, but can you explain that in a little bit more detail where, where you're coming from? Um. You know, I, I first wanted to uh, respond to your your first question about uh, education and, and learning, right? Yes. Uh, because I think it's really, really important. Um, and there's some, um, just really, really briefly. Um, sure. I mean, I think what we're trying to identify in people um, and that, uh, the, the skill is sort of cognitive capacity for learning, and we call it learning agility. So as we are finding that we have a different um, different capability for learning agility, the humans. Yes. First of all, no one could be competing with a three-year-old in the, in the speed of learning, you know. So I think, you know, when it comes to, you know, trying to gauge the age, the right age to learn, the three-year-old will outpass everyone else Absolutely. in how much they learn and how fast. And, and it's just, you know, so let's let's park it there. And then I think that some of the breakthroughs um, in um, a research, in brain research, has actually um, um, shown us, um, and, and that's a scientific phenomenon, it's called neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. And what we found, actually, human brains learn all the time. There's yes. no limit. We we used to think that after 40 we kind of freeze in time, and that's not the case. And 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 it's a bio we are biologically pro programmed to to learn. And the other thing I would say that what we are going to need is all kinds of learning. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the, those quick, just in time, uh, upskilling and relearning, uh, we absolutely need that. But it's not limited to that. We will need. What, what's right, right now becoming the more of a more of a deficit is critical thinking and some deeper uh, deeper learning research, et cetera. Those skills are so becoming much much rarer. And I would say if I could offer a metaphor for this, and yep. that would be kind of the hardware and software of learning. You know, we will we will have the education kind of more um, you know deeper type of education will will be needed with with a lot of experience in conditioning, um, that's going to be developing that hard way, including the hardware for learning. And then 
and then we will have to always be acquiring some new skills like using yep. new tools, technologies etc that's kind of the software like the the apps you can switch them on and off several a day and that's so we're going to be a very complex learning machines and um not machines is not a good one but mm -hmm. learning um uh, learning um you know uh humans um yes. and that's where a lot of research is now um is going about you know breaking the code on the learning how can we learn really really fast and unlearn and what it takes so that's going to be really a secret to the longevity of us in the job so i really wanted to respond to that and oh. then your uh, a last question if you could just briefly repeat it so that we are on the same page yeah um so uh, a quote that i found from yourself is you know you're talking about what we need is um, a practical guide to this brave new yeah. world where the talent connects to the employment wherever and whenever it finds the best fit i thought that was really really good right right and that's again you know without technology we can't do that um, you know, we have to get, and everyone is focused on finding that job, right? That finding that job. And the other aspect of this conversation has been around global. You know, if, if we can work virtually, um, then, you know, I can be in New York, you could be in Glasgow, and we, we are still collaborating, we are still working on a project, et, et cetera. So those are the most kind of um, uh, highlighted aspects of this type of connection. But yes. I would say what we are also um, what advancing right now in this whole area of connecting to the right opportunities is um, a, whole, um, a whole universe of self-assessments, reflections, understanding your skills, kind of internally focused, psychologically, what's good for me? Yes. What, what do, how do, what motivates me uh, for a job, et cetera. And I think that element is often under, um, under uh, represented in these discussions. Mm -hmm. But I think understanding your purpose and helping people understand what they're good at and, you know, what they're motivated by is a big element of that. And, um, and we have, you know more accessible assessment tools right now we have we are also scaling coaching you know i i, I mentioned that at nyu i developed a new program um a new master's degree the first one in the us in executive coaching and organization consulting but we are working with um several companies that have again software and are delivering coaching in everything from therapy, clinical mm -hmm. consult coaching to, you know, more advanced uh, types of executive coaching could be delivered at any point in any time. So not only do we have the infrastructure, the tracks that we laid out through technology to be to deliver people to those opportunities and for those opportunities to find the right people, but we are also helping people to deeper connect with whatever they want to do by knowing themselves and having yeah. support systems that they can uh, organize themselves through, you know, consultants of the right networks, coaches, etc., to be really self-identifying as the right person in the right place at the right time. 
I love that. And I think that's a big change for me and a welcome change that, that, that I'm seeing that it's not, we need 10 square things to fit in 10 square holes. It's now looking at the individual. How will you contribute to our business the best way you can contribute to our business with the best of your skills and abilities? And it's another phrase that it stays with me for a long, long, long time is never judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. <laughs> I, and I think that applies to what you're saying here as well. We're looking at trying to identify the individuals themselves and how they contribute rather than here's how we want you to do things in this environment. And uh, so I think that's the evolution going yeah. back to human capital management. Fantastic to hear it. Um, we know where to go if we want some of this co uh, coaching, training, and education. Um, you're the expert. You've got the uh, the master's course on that, and great to see the research as well going on behind that um, as well. That that that's really good. Um, one other quote that I was drawn to it's from your seven paradoxes of note for HR, which are on your personal list for 2020. I was drawn to this one. Now people can check that out if they look for it. Um, number one. And this is your quote, people are not going away. The opposite is the case. Automation leads to greater focus on employee experience. And I think you've covered a lot of what that means in our conversation today. Um, it's as clear to me now, I was gonna ask you to go into that in a bit of detail, but I think our last 30 minutes have really covered that, that the opposite is the case. You do recognize automation, you do recognize it is coming in more and more, but the best was it's leading to greater focus on the employee experience. And I think that's key. I think uh, there's a lesson or there's some learning there to our listeners to have a think about that. So one of your seven paradoxes for HR on your 2020 list, that's number one. I urge people to go and think about that um, a little bit more. Can I ask, um, Anna, what does the future hold for human capital management in general? Will it reach a critical mass? What's the time period? Is it next year? Is it five years? When, when do we see all of this really getting, you know, into into hold in organizations? Yes. So first of all, I, I, I think there is a very definite um uh, very definite centrality of this function for companies. Um, I mean, I think what I am seeing, and you've talked about these consecutive revolutions, uh, we have moved from using the muscle on the job, that was the job, using the muscle, to now using the brain, and you kept talking about, um, kept talking about the knowledge economy, et cetera, and yeah. we are moving into the economy of the heart, uh, the really inette that's not here yet. We're still in the brain, kind of, uh, but it's going to be about being supremely human. We're going to be, yeah. we're going to find out what that humanity is because we will have all the technology to, you know, replace the horsepower, right? Yeah. And even some <laughs> yeah. of the, and even, you know, outpace us when it comes to intelligent automation and some of the intelligent functions with yeah. a, yeah. you know, scale of, you know, data processing and, and you know, t um, um, AI that's coming in yes. and lots of yeah. other things. But I think that kind of humanity in us, the heart, the emotions, the empathy, et cetera, that's what's going to be at a, at a prime 
in, in yeah. companies. And again, you already see companies talking about, and it used to be just a poster on the wall, but now it's becoming a true meaning where they talk about the purpose. They are talking about deeper values where, for example, even look at the evolution of diversity and inclusion function. You know, mm. it started mm. out with pure uh, compliance, you know, the, we, yeah. the reporting. That was a compliance function. You had to report it. You've done it, check the box, move on, nothing changes. And and we are now have much more nuanced tools of measuring that in, inclusion and in, in, in surfacing the value of uh, our human diversity that's contributing to the bottom line, if you'd like. Yeah. So I think I think we are going to see the um a huge sort of resurgence of this interest in what makes us human and the business is going to put the premium speaking about capital and assets etc a premium on these qualities yeah. that we are going to be able to harvest and that's that's a dream you know for me and i'm working toward that it's not just abstract yes um, to to be able to you know you know, leverage and harvest those amazing, unique qualities, what makes us human. Um, everything else, you know, we will have the machines to do it. Um, mm. And they're going to be intelligent machines. They're going to look like us. We won't even know who is a machine and who is not in some cases. And that will be harder because it's all mm. going to be around augmentation. But to reach that level of, you know, cohesion and nirvana, if you want, we really still have this huge unexplored area of human emotions at work. This is yeah. this is the next frontier, and we are just putting the toll. You know, when we talk about wellness and stress, and we are only seeing the kind of the uh, the when it breaks down again, kind yeah. of being reactive. We yeah. see when it's bre breaking down and how bad it is. And that's kind of the business case we're making and saying, you got to treat people nice because if they, if you don't, these are the bad things that are going to happen. Yeah. But I think we've to learn to look on the bright side and really see what, and, and it will be a big aha moment to all of us to turn around and say, we wish we knew it before that what brings us together, what makes this business, this business successful is the, is the diversity of, all of these human qualities that um, are contributing to the success and the outcomes that we're seeing. So anyway, that's yeah. kind of a very, very high level picture, but that's I good. don't think it's unrealistic. That's good. Um, I think hindsight is a wonderful thing. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. And I think, again, what we're hearing in a lot of these conversations is the more technology we we're starting to use the more human we're going to have to become. I think it's an amazing mindset to get into, but we have to move ourselves to become more more human, I think, because of otherwise we get lost in all this automation. And the one thing that fascinates me about the human race as a species, I think, is our diversity. And I think that's critical. As I said, we're we're different. We have different views, and they all they all they all add add to it. Now, Anna, normally at this stage we do a few quick fire questions with you. Not doing that today. Going to change things a little bit. We'll see how it works. They tell me, Mark, don't break the formula, and I go, ah, sure, I'm diverse anyway, so let's give it a go. So instead, 
of asking you some questions. I'm going to ask you quick for now maybe about 30 seconds or so, see what your res response is on some of these articles that you've written. You've written a lot of articles in this space over the last number of years. We've gone in, I've had to read through a lot of them. They're fantastic. Um, and I'm just going to call you about some of the article headings and tell me what you, what does it mean? Give us a 30 seconds quick fire on it. So first one, recalibrating workforce planning for the 21st century organization and a quick fire 30 seconds. What's that all about? And that's, we discussed that it really be, is being predictive about the changes that will happen at scale. And yeah. not just again, individuals, but how can we predict how the composition of your workforce will change within the five, 10 years and, and give some advice and, and uh, prepare for that change so that it doesn't yeah. come as a surprise. We're not reactive, we are proactive about the workforce. Fantastic. Um, another one you wrote about the adaptability challenge. I know we've covered some of it, but if you get that down to about 30 yeah. seconds, what are you covering in there? I mean, the adaptability is a, is, is a must these days. It's no longer an option. Everyone has to be adaptive. And the challenge is that we don't like to be adaptive. And the organizations have, um, you know, legacy structures. People are attached to their titles and, and jobs. So we have those hangups. We, 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 we do not like to change. That's part of our survival instinct. Mm -hmm. And change is threatening. So, so that's why adaptability is a challenge, but it's also a, a, a must. It's, it's, an, it's a goal. Yeah, I think that, that's, uh, that's eye-opening there. Um, you talk about the promise and peril of teams. Sure, everybody's working in a team and we're all collaborating. That's the promise. But what are the perils? Well, the perils is, you know, it's very difficult to be on a team. You know, it, you know as much as, especially diverse teams. You know, we know for a fact that we almost have to change. We definitely have to change our mental models about uh, success, for example. Yeah. Um, and be very aware and non-biased. So that's why the 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 te teams is the future. At the same time, it's also a, um, a learning curve. We are not because most of the time teams kind of happened. Good teams, successful teams happened uh, almost by accident. We have not really researched them as much before, but now we are paying a lot more attention. So what makes a team successful and part of that uh, formula will be the ability to work through challenges and um, and resistance and um, mm. you know the downsides and um, and manage your diversity for the um, benefit of this of the team rather than fall apart as a team so there are lots of um, pros and cons to the team and it's up to us to learn how to do it more effectively yeah, yeah. And I've seen firsthand over the years successful teams happening by accident, the majority of them, and then having success almost by accident too, which, yeah. which amazed me. You talk about um, why is HR pursuing Agile Light? So everybody's doing Agile. Why is HR doing a light version of it? Because, you know, there is, an, like in every trend, there is a very orthodox way of applying agile as you know it could be very formulaic and um, and uh, and unfortunately because hr works with humans most of the time we know that it, it no one fits into 
just one way of doing things. We talked about diversity, that that was the running theme of our conversation. Yeah. So I think that as much as the agile formula that we um, inherited from software development um, can be applied across various processes when it comes to humans and working on some very, very human you know, decisions, we need to be more nuanced in how it's mm -hmm. applied and maybe less orthodox um, in, you know, application of some of the processes, but more open-minded and treat it more as, a, as, again, as a mental model, a mindset of agility and adaptability than just a set of formulas. Yeah, I think you could almost apply that approach to most agile projects or implementations or whatever phrase we're going to use. Exactly. And uh, I think the last one here, uh, learning 2030 beyond technology. So we're looking um, 10 years into the future. Um, will we be there with this human capital management? Will we have arrived or will we still be on the journey uh, or will we have fixed it all with technology? <laughs> I don't think we'll ever arrive. That's the beauty of it. So let's, I, I love it. let's yeah. say to meet in 10 years and see where we are. Um, but um, but I think, you know, what I said is that, that it will be a really interesting, um, a, a, a interesting evolution of yeah. technology and humans, that interaction of people and technology, as well as us better understanding who we are, how we are hardwired, yeah. um, what we know about ourselves and, really accommodating and developing technologies that are going to make us more powerful, more impactful, more intelligent, and all the good things associated with that. And obviously paying attention to what we don't know and what's going to fall through the cracks and we're gonna find ourselves in the privacy hell, you know, and whatever, whatever the next, um, the next thing that we didn't anticipate yeah. is gonna hit us, um, I think that's kind of going to be the path for the next 10 years. Mm, I think it's an interesting path. It's um, a journey. It's not the destination. It is the journey. I think it can be a journey with a very interesting view if you want to open your eyes and, and look at it. And you reminded me of one of the other critical findings, just as we finish up, um, we found from our survey was organizations don't know what they don't know. And that's one of their biggest gaps and challenges whether it's technology, whether it's human capital management, whatever that is, they don't know what they don't know. And it's almost as if, let's not look under the rock to see what's there, because that will mean change and difficulty and upheaval. But I think we've got to be brave. Um, on our previous talks, we had somebody say, we need managers and leaders with guts that will do something that may fail, but at least they're learning. It's not, I always say, it, you know, that phrase, it's not failure if you've learned from it. It certainly is if you do it and repeat it and do it again, the definition of insanity. Yeah. But if you do it, if you get this wrong, learn where you got it wrong and be stronger the next time and tell your staff and work with people. I think that that's a good view. Now, Anna, before we finish, have you any final words on how organizations can continue to get the best from their talent, how they can keep them, or how they should develop their staff in this digital age? Any closing words for us? So I think, you know, just start focusing more on people. Um, 
because people have been a second thought and maybe third or fourth um, on the agenda of the CEOs. And now we're seeing that it's coming front and center. And when people, business people who are very smart, very um, efficient in, in if they put their minds and their hearts to, you know, achieving those goals and, and that's kind of the appeal to the management, I think that, that that's where we are going to be on a good path. It's still not going to be easy, but it's certainly going to be um, a, a better experience for all and we'll get there faster if we have the right leadership moving us in the right direction. Well, some of the best advice we get on these calls have come at the very end, and it's always the most simplest of advice. I mean, they're focus on the people. They've been third or fourth down a list. I find that amazing. People should be top of the list. They're the talent. They're the things that make things happen. They're the people that think, do, and act. And the automation just helps do parts of their job. So focus on the people. Anna Tavis, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us on today's CCC Talks. We've got so much insights into this fascinating world. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. All, all, all the best to you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining this episode of CCC Talks. We hope you enjoyed this episode and walk away with a ton of actionable insights. If this is your first time joining us, this is us extending a personal invitation to you to join other IT and business professionals. So please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or Google Play. If you are struggling in any capacity in your digital transformation journey, contact us. We'd be more than happy to guide you and find you the right certification courses to help you manage the challenges modern businesses are facing. This was CCC Talks. Until next time.